Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every single week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. That might be the mission of the nonprofit you're working at, or if you're a nonprofit consultant or freelance grant writer, the many different nonprofits you work with. And this week on the show, we have a great guest, and that is Jenny Hargrove from Nonprofit Jenny. She is absolutely amazing. And all you podcast listeners out there, since you love listening to podcasts, be sure to check out the Nonprofit Jenny podcast show as well. And what's going to be really fun today is that Jenny is going to share five of her favorite books that have been moving the nonprofit landscape forward. So if you don't know about Jenny, she's awesome. She is a charitable marketing coach with a background in market research and corporate philanthropy. And she loves training nonprofit leaders and best practices for building a robust marketing and fundraising strategy. And a couple years ago, she came to me, she had this great idea and we were chatting about it. And I love to see that it's in full bloom now and it's been for the last year and a half or so. And that is the Overhead Book Club. And that is for nonprofit leaders and nonprofit individuals who really wanna grow personally and professionally. So she spends a lot of time looking over books, you know, really figuring out what are the best books to move forward, what's leading the trends in the nonprofit space, and so much more. She is going to share her five top books for strategies for nonprofits in 2023 with us today. So hang out. If you hear of a book that sounds really interesting to you from today's podcast, which you will, uh, you're definitely going to want to jump over to the show notes at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 260. Yes, we're on our 260th episode today. So thanks for hanging out with me, you guys. That's a big congratulations. So I have all of the show note links there. Um, so you definitely can click on them. You can grab any of those books and so much more. So before we get into it with Jenny today, and she shares her five top books for nonprofits in 2023 and beyond, I just wanna give a word to our sponsor, and our sponsor this week is Grant Writing and Funding. Yes, it is. So if you're looking for ways to increase your grant writing skills in a stress-free environment and stress-free formula, you are gonna to wanna to check out our grants formula that's in our Hub Haven. You can also check out other resources in our Hub Haven, such as our five steps to become a freelance grant writer or our top 10 tips to position your nonprofit for funding. So go ahead and jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com to sign up for any or all of those free resources for you. You can just click on the Get Started button at the top and you can see how you can grab all those free resources, which will definitely help you either write better grants, position your nonprofit for funding, or help start a freelance grant writing business. Yes, you can. And we'll get you there with all of those resources. Once again, grantwritingandfunding.com. All right, back to our show with Nonprofit Jenny. So she's going to be sharing, once again, these books for nonprofit leaders. You are going to want to check them out. And for all those show notes, again, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 260. All right, here is Jenny. 
We're really excited to be talking to you again back on the podcast. We haven't had you on for a while, Jenny. So thank you for coming back on the podcast. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me, Holly. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's so much fun because Jenny, nonprofit Jenny, she goes by and that's J-E-N-N-I. And you have the nonprofit Jenny podcast as well, which reaches out to nonprofits. You talk a lot about marketing and just different thought leaders in the space, even grants. I've been on your podcast, so that's a lot of fun. And I love all of the work that you have been doing with your with your podcast, with your courses um, for nonprofits around the world. So thank you so much. Yes, that's so fun. Yeah, I love doing the Nonprofit Jenny Show. I have thought leaders like you on the podcast. It's really fun. We talk about marketing strategies. We also have um, nonprofit leaders come on the podcast and talk about their marketing strategies and what's worked for them. So if any of your listeners ever want to come on the show, I'd love to have them. Awesome. Yeah, you guys can definitely check that out at Nonprofit Jenny. Once again, that's J-E-N-N-I.com, right? The dot com? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's awesome because you can see all of the other things that Jenny has there too. Um, I know there's a lot of different things that you have as far as your Giving Tuesday, um, different courses to really help um, nonprofits grow in DEI and other types of things that they can get into, including the Overhead Book Club, which is really geared towards nonprofit startup leaders um, to really engage them and help with learning in the nonprofit space and just even in the mind space. I know in the green room before we started today, we were talking about like how you rotate uh, personal uh, growth and also business growth books throughout the year in the book club. So I love that you have that resource and we're going to dive into that today. We're going to be talking about some of your five most recommended books for 2023 in nonprofit strategies. And we're going to go over those. So I'm really excited about that because I am, I, I'm, an, I'm an author and then I also love consuming books. And so, and I have a book club in my mentorship. So I love, I was like, Ooh, maybe I'll be able to grab one and put it in there. <laughs> so I love it so much. Yeah, You have this available for nonprofit leaders. Um, but before we get there, I just want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, just in general, like, what are you seeing as far as the strategies for 2023, right, with nonprofits? Like, there's inflation going on, there's talk of the recession, there's all of this stuff. Like, what what in general are you kind of seeing what's on your radar in the nonprofit space? So one thing that's on my radar, you're talking about inflation. Um, people are worried about another recession happening, and they're worried about how that's going to affect donor dollars. And one thing that I can say I haven't seen, Holly, is I have not seen donors freak out and be like, I'm not going to give you my money anymore. So that's something that I think nonprofit leaders can kind of, let's like take a collective sigh of relief here Mm -hmm. because donors don't just stop caring about the causes that they that they are passionate about just because something unfortunate is happening in the world. And that's something we saw during COVID-19, you know, this huge disaster happened that hurt us in every way, including economically. And donors actually gave more during the time of COVID than they had previously, even though a lot of them were laid off or were furloughed. Right. And so that that's just, has given me so much faith in humanity and in donors that we know we can trust them to have our back because they know that we are as nonprofits being negatively impacted by these things going on in the world as well. So Mm. that's, that's one thing I haven't seen that I think we should 
all see as a positive sign for moving forward in 2023. I love that. And that's so true. I mean, people will still give, right? And and the world can be falling down around us like quite literally and people are still giving and participating and want to be contributors and helping out and having meaningful meaningful lives, right? And the work of nonprofits can really help with that meaning. Um, so I absolutely love that. And that gives me a lot of hope too <laughs> to look at it because I'm looking, I'm a glass half full kind of gal, right? I'm, a, I'm an op- optimist, but a realist optimist um, and saying, okay, we still need to like look at what's going on. So I'm glad that you're looking at what's going on and saying, yeah, but donors are still giving, you know, maybe we're seeing... Um, you know, some people kind of strap in their purses a little bit or their wallets a little bit, but we're seeing then the larger donors giving more. So I think that it balances it out. And, um, you know, whatever we see going on in the world, there's always going to be people who want to contribute in one way or another. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think it's also important for nonprofits to educate donors on how things in the world are impacting them. Like that's why we saw so much giving during COVID-19 is nonprofits were really transparent and they were like, this is how COVID-19 is impacting us. Our staff for the first time is not able to come into the office. And so we're having to invest in technology so that they can work remotely. You know, um, our, our arts organization is not able to put on shows for the next year. And so that's how that's impacting our overhead, right? So mm-hmm. it's important to be transparent when things in the outside world are impacting your nonprofit. So donors have the opportunity to step up and help. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that because it is, it's so important. If they don't know what's going on, then they're not going to be involved, right? So you really do have to let them know what's going on and and just this whole kind of, you know, I see a shift, right, as well in the funding conversation as far as nonprofits are really finally starting to come out and be like, we just want one place to send our application or grant applications to and then disperse it from there, right? There's so much more talk about that. There's so much more like, look at the burden, these types of um, things, these hoops that we have to jump through are putting on the nonprofit, um, even the top uh, topic of general operating uh, expenses being more supported, right? Those types of things. And we saw that during COVID. We saw like, okay, forget the project, forget all of the things, just how much do you need to run your business to or, or to run your um, building, right? To pay your staff, to keep the lights on. Like we want to fund that. And, and I think that has caused a really good kind of shift in conversation because nonprofits have always needed that. <laughs> it's just it's harder to find those types of funding as well. So now hopefully those kind of trends will continue that we don't always have to put a project together to get grants or to get funding, but just to help us run the program and keep living our mission, right? And serving the people or the, the causes that we have in our communities. So hopefully that can be part of it too <laughs> as we continue through through 2023 and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of general operating expenses, that's actually why I named my book club, the overhead book club, because overhead used to be this bad word, right? Like, Mm. okay, what percentage of our revenue can be spent toward overhead? But I, I really want us to reclaim that word as nonprofit professionals and realize we are overhead. Overhead Mm -hmm. is, is when you're investing in overhead, you're investing in yourself. And so I named my book club, the overhead book club, because when you're investing in the book club, when you're investing in your professional development, you're investing in your overhead, which is yourself. And that's a good thing. Your nonprofit needs you to invest you in, to invest in yourself in order to grow and advance your mission. 
I love that. That yeah, and that is so true. So what a good segue into our overhead book club conversation because that's absolutely perfect because yeah, I agree with you 110%. Like overhead is needed. It's a worthy investment and it really should be funded more and more and more. So I love that you named your book club that and it really came from that thought process of like let's destigmatize this word, right? So right. Super important. So in your overhead book club, you've been doing this now for a number of years. Um, and you, it's really cool to see the growth that you've had with it. And I love how you just curate, you spend so much time curating these amazing books, right? Like you were saying, telling me, you're like, I go through like 20 bucks a month, like to find the book I'm going to be using. And that is so valuable. Just you doing that as an expert already in the nonprofit space, and then being able to take the time and go through and select these really high quality books that you then share with your book club. And then you guys have these meaningful discussions around them. So can you tell us a little bit how the book club works? And then I know you have like five of your, your books that you want to share with us today. Absolutely. So we in the overhead book club are very busy and a lot of book clubs run every month. You read a book every month. I know a lot of people don't have time to do every single month. So what we do is read a book on the odd numbered months. So mm -hmm. January, our next one's coming up in March, and then we'll do another one in May. So during the even numbered months, that's when I encourage you to sign up and join the overhead book club so you can get ready for our next odd numbered month. Um, and it's really affordable. I really want it to be affordable for startup nonprofit leaders, like you mentioned earlier. So it's $20 every month that we read a book. Mm -hmm. So um, so it's $20 every other month. And, um, and we read professional and personal growth books to help you improve your nonprofit practice. So today I made a list of five books that we've read recently in the book club. And I have a big takeaway from each of those books that you can implement in your nonprofit practice today. Awesome. I was so excited. <laughs> Okay, are you ready for number ready. one, Holly? I'm ready. Yeah. I'm okay. Like the books. <laughs> I'm like, because I told you, I said I might steal one of them for my mentorship. <laughs> so yeah. Sure, sure. Well, so the first book is actually the one that we read in January. It's called Say More About That. Have you heard of this book, Holly? No, I haven't. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of nonprofits nowadays are creating and implementing DEI strategies, diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, right? But that is at the organizational level. And at the individual level, sometimes you have a donor who will say something sexist, or you'll have a board member who will um, have a little bit of a white saviorism complex, right? So they say something that might be a microaggression against people of a certain race. There, there are just all of these situations you come across as a professional on an individual basis that your DEI strategy may not be clear about because mm -hmm. a lot of DEI strategies don't have, you know, microaggressions or, or just like smaller flippant comments in, included in that strategy. And so what do you do about that? So this book say more about that. It's, it's just a book full of strategies of how to address inappropriate situations when they come up in a way that you're comfortable with. I don't know about you, Holly. I don't know how you handle conflict. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can deal with conflict, but it's not my favorite. Like I'm not oh, going yeah, to no. be the person mm -hmm. who like someone cuts in line. I'm not going to be like, Hey, get to the back of the line, you know? 
So I'm this just saying, book, I'm very really... passive sometimes. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. kind of be like, okay, you need to be assertive. But yeah, that whole kind of like, okay, like sometimes it's better to like, just let it pass. But, but those things like you're talking about, if people are saying things that really do impact like that are sexist, you know, that sort of thing, right? Racist. Um, then to me, it's like, I feel like I saying, saying nothing is doing something right. So it's, it's like, yes. I still want to, I still, that's when my assertive side really comes out, but sometimes I'm not exactly sure how to handle it either to be like, hmm, what do you say? <laughs> yes. So this book, it walks you through exactly what to do and what to say in those situations. So my, the biggest takeaway I have from this book is actually the title of the book, Say More About That. So when someone says something that's inappropriate, like if um, one of the examples in the book is, um, and this is something I've heard because I'm Asian American, is wow, you're so lucky that you're a minority because so many more opportunities are available to you. And that's something that is not meant to be offensive. It's it's meant to be a good thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm giving you a compliment. You're a minority, so you have more opportunities. Well done, good job. But it's diminishing my work and my value to... Yeah. to make me just a minority, right? And so Mm -hmm. what you can do in that situation is act confused because that's a confusing statement. Like why on earth would you say that? But instead of coming across as being accusatory and Mm -hmm. potentially putting that person on the defensive, you can just say, say more about that. What do you mean when you say Mm -hmm. that I get more opportunities because I'm Asian American or another one I hear all the time is like well you must be really good at math because you're Asian right Mm -hmm. well say more about that why why are you saying that I'm just automatically better at some things because I'm Asian and Mm -hmm. often what that statement does is it forces that person to reflect on what they've said they you're you're usually repeating back what they said to you say Mm -hmm. more about that you said this say more about that right right And so they can hear for themselves like, oh, shoot, that actually sounded really bad. And it often causes them to self-correct and apologize for their mistake without there having ever needed to be a conflict. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's just so, yeah, because you're right. I mean, it will make them reconsider like what they're saying, right? Or even myself, like if I was to say something right too, it's just like sometimes things come out of our mouths, right? And we're like, oh, wait, where did that even come from? And then if somebody makes you repeat it, you're like, oh, wait, hey, wait, (laughs) I don't really know where that came from or the same thing with them, right? Like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. So I love that repetition and just kind of like "Mm," a question about it, like, "Mm, say more about that. (laughs) You know, can you tell me more about that? Right, exactly. Being confused. I love the confusion part of it too, because like you said, it is confusing and it may not feel like it to them until that you say that, until you react that way, right? That's awesome. Such a simple. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my first strategy for nonprofits that I learned in my book club this, this past year is say more about that. That's my first one. I love that. Um, the book we read before say more about that. I loved this one. It's called atomic habits. Mm -hmm. And this one actually was like all over the internet. Tons of people were reading it and, and very often I'll hear all of these really hyped up books 
and I don't really feel like they live up to the hype, but Atomic Habits was so good, Holly. I would recommend it to all of your listeners. It's all about, I mean, obviously it's about habits. And um, so what the book does is it challenges you in chapter one to think about something that you want to get better at. Because if you can get better at something by 1% every single day for a whole year, you become 37 times better at that thing by the end of the year. And so it's just challenging you. Let's just get 1% better at that one thing every day for a year, and you'll be 37 times better at it. And then the book, sorry, my dogs are going off. (laughs) Then the book talks about how you get 1% better each day. And so my biggest takeaway from this book was this strategy called habit stacking. Have mm-hmm. you heard of habit stacking? No. Mm-mm. So you know how you already have habits that are built up in your day? Like you get up and the first thing you do is brush your teeth. Or the first thing you do when you sit at your desk is you start writing in your planner, right? Mm-hmm. So habit stacking is when you are trying to create a new habit Um, For example, for myself, a habit that I started last year was um, practicing gratitude and being Mm -hmm. really intentional about that. Mm -hmm. So I stack that habit onto one that I already have that's that's already well established in my brain. Mm -hmm. And that's something that um, that neuroscientists have found is one of the most effective ways to build a new habit is to to build it on top of a current habit, because you're you're already doing that habit anyway. So my habit that I have I've always done for years is I sit down at my desk and I write my top three goals for the day. Mm-hmm. So now instead of just writing my top three goals, I also write one thing that I have gratitude um, for. And mm-hmm. it's been transformative for me. It's really impacted my mindset um, for my work, but this can apply to, you know, your, your habit stacking to try and get yourself to go to the gym every morning, your habit stacking, you're trying to get better at answering all of your emails in a timely fashion. There are just a million ways that you can, that you can habit stack. I love that. I love that. It, yeah. It combines it with a habit you already have. Cause that would be easier than to implement. So that's awesome. And that's funny too. Cause it's, I kind of had the same thought as you as I saw that book all over the place. I heard about it on a podcast. I, you know, like it was all, and I was kind of like, Oh, it just seems like such a popular book that it might be overrated. So I'm glad that you're giving me the behind the scenes of like, no, really read it. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting because a lot of, um, it sounds like a self-help book, but a lot of self-help books are just like, yeah, you can do it, you know, but this one is actually talking about studies, psychological studies and neuroscience studies about how your brain actually builds up habits. And so it's not, it's not a motivational book. Like I will say never once do they say, believe in yourself. It's, it's not about about motivation. It's about what is one teeny tiny thing you can do every single day to get better at something. Oh, I love that. And then how do you measure that? How do you measure that you've gotten that 1%? Does he explain that? Yeah. So it's, it's at some point you, it's, it's easy to measure. Like, um, let's say your habit is you want to become a better runner, right? At some point in your running journey, it's easy to start tracking. Okay. I'm running 0.1 miles more every day than I was the day before. But when you have never run before, you have nothing to track at 
beginning. Like so putting your shoes for, on and going outside and just do it like exactly. No, but literally yeah. they say mm-hmm. tr- start by tracking something that takes less than five minutes to do. Nice. So it's, it could be putting your running shoes by the front door. And that's the first thing you do the first day. And the second day you put your shoes by the front door and you put your feet in the shoes. And that's all you do the second day. And then the third day you put your feet in the shoes, you tie up the laces, you go outside. So it's, it's, it's literally saying you get 1% better. And until you can start actually tracking what that 1% is, Mm -hmm. then you're just doing something that takes less than five minutes to do every single day. Right. I love that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. Yes. Atomic Habits. Um, My third book. So what we read before Atomic Habits is this book called The Deadline Effect. Mm -hmm. And it's all about time management. So I know a lot of people listening have trouble with time management. They're like, I spend too much time on email or I spend too much time playing phone games or, or, you know, whatever the the problem is. Mm -hmm. So in this book, this one was more fun than some of the ones that, um, that, that are professional development related. A lot of professional development books can be really dry, you know? Mm -hmm. So in this book, Every single chapter is a story and it's a real life story about a real life business or charity about how they manage their time. And then the author ties back their time management strategy to, to a research study that explains why that strategy works. So, um, so there are seven different time management strategies written in the book. Um, my favorite one is called think backward and it sounds so simple when I say it, Holly, you're going to be like, well, that was really obvious, Jenny. <laughs> but what you do, because you're a grant writing professional, right? And I think mm-hmm. you teach all grant writers to do this already. But what you do is you come up with your end goal and then you think backwards. Okay, what's the step? Mm-hmm. What's the the very last step to get to that goal? So mm-hmm. for, for grant writing, the very last step is hitting submit, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, well then what's the, the second to last step? Okay, well, I need to get, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We it's delivery time. Oh, no, and so all of my dogs. dogs. <laughs> okay, good. So what's the second to last step? The second to last step is getting everybody to reread all of your grant proposal paperwork and everything before you hit submit, right? So you're going backwards to every single step that needs to happen one before the other. And then you're adding timestamps to each of those steps so that you know exactly when each of those steps needs to happen. And that, what I love about Think Backward is if you start at the beginning, it's like starting to write a book from a blank page. It just feels really intimidating. Where do I even start? Do I start with brainstorming? How long should brainstorming take? When do I need to start actually making decisions? It's just very overwhelming. So Think Backward is like, okay, Let's start with the result we want to see and think about all of the tiny steps that get us to that end result. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's great about that too is that if you did it the opposite way is think forward, right? Like what a lot of people do on that linear scale is then you might not get it right. And then you have to redo it because if you're like, well, we'll schedule this on this day and this by this day. And then you're like, ooh, that doesn't give us enough time then when the deadline is due or when that launch is happening or that campaign strategy, whatever's happening. So then you have to redo it. You have to kind of scrub it and then say, oh, we got to read. But if you're going backwards, 
you already know, like, I need this time, much time from the end. So then it's easier, like you said, with those timestamps to be more accurate. And then you might even say, oh, we're really tight. We need to start moving. Like, we didn't realize, like, how far now we're pushed to the beginning of this. Like, maybe we should have started right. last week. So I need to pick something up here, right? So it is because in the when you think future, it feels far away as well. So time gets a little bit weird and abstract, a little wonky, right? Yes. So we do the think back, which I love, and that's your right. That's what we do in grant writing. Time becomes a lot shorter, <laughs> a little more realistic, right? Because you're, right. you're thinking in a little bit different terms. So that's very interesting. But I love the fact that it has stories around it as well, because for me, yes. I, I love learning through story, right? So I love fiction. Like, you know, I've learned so much about the world through fiction books, actually, right? So um, because of all of what comes into that through story. So I love that. I'm definitely, I wrote that one down for sure, too. The Deadline Effect. And who is that by? Oh, my gosh. You're good. No, it's Christopher Cox. Oh, Christopher Cox. Okay. I thought you were like, I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting is he is a really good storyteller because he's actually an investigative journalist. Like he wrote this book about time management, but that's not his, um, that's not his day job is, is like studying time management. No, he's, he's a reporter. And so he's a really good storyteller. Oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Right, so far we have say more, say more about that. Atomic Habits. Um, so really looking at um, productivity and then the deadline effect, really looking at time management. So um, mm -hmm. what's your next book? Yeah. So my fourth book, it's called Thanks for the Feedback. And this book was really challenging for me personally, because sometimes you get feedback from people that you just don't want feedback from. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you have a really challenging boss who's a micromanager, or maybe you're an executive director and your board members are giving you feedback that you're like, listen, you guys don't even work to, in the day-to-day -day operations. You should not be giving me this feedback. Right. right. So, um, and, and then, you know, and then you get feedback from maybe your mother-in-law, like somebody who you don't have a great relationship with, who's giving you parenting advice, right? Mm -hmm. So there's all types of feedback we're receiving all the time. Some of it is good. Some of it is bad. Some of it is welcome and some of it is not. And this book tells you how to deal with all of it. And through this book, you also learn how to get better at giving feedback so that you don't become one of those nightmare people. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the strategy that I took away from thanks for the feedback are called feedback columns. Mm. So basically when you receive feedback that is not presented in the way that you would have wanted the feedback, or maybe you're getting feedback on something you never asked for feedback about mm -hmm. the strategy is first you calm down, you say, thanks for the feedback. I'm going to need some time to sit with this and I'll get back to you about how I feel about it. Or you don't even have to get back to them. You can just say, thanks for the feedback. I'm going to sit with this. And then once you are able to breathe again and your face is no longer red, what you do is you put the feedback in columns. So you write down, try to remember word for word, what did they say? And you write down exactly what they said. And then you parse out the feedback in two different columns. This is feedback that is actually helpful. And this is feedback that is not relevant. And from there, 
you're really able to decide no matter how frustrating that person was being and no matter what format they gave you that feedback in, maybe it was they were screaming in your face and that's inappropriate. No matter how they gave you the feedback, you you calmed down the situation by thanking them for it and telling them like, I'm going to do what I want now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can pull out, okay, even though they were screaming in my face, there was a little bit of truth. It was 3% truth. Mm-hmm. And I can acknowledge that only 3% of it was the truth, but I have 3% in my truthful column. And then I have 97% in my irrelevant column. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's not what the whole book is about. There's there's a ton of different feedback strategies in the book. But for me, that was the strategy that hit home the most because I I just... I struggle when people give me feedback that's unsolicited. I really struggle to contain my feelings about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, and I, I love that because even using that phrase, thanks for the feedback, it just kind of puts everything in perspective because they could just be like, this is what you need to do, da, 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 thinking, oh, this is like the golden rule. And for you using that term, it's feedback. It's not necessarily like something I'm going to do. Thank you very much though for giving it to me, you know, like even if you don't want it, but it just having that statement is so powerful to kind of reduce some of that maybe uh, kind of you know, that it kind of reduces the situation. Like you're saying that conflict potentially, right? Or just to let them know, like, I'm not necessarily going to do that, what you're telling me to do without saying, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So it kind of, it makes it more measured. So I really like just that comment. And the columns too are great because sometimes we do, we are so angry about it, but maybe like you said, there is some truth to some of it. And it could, some of that could be really good to internalize and to look at instead of just being totally closed off to it, right? So, and maybe it's not at all, right, either, but to really look at it and analyze it, I think it's really important. And that's how we can, I think even dealing with, you know, how bipolar or like polarized the world is right now, you know what I mean? That we can come to more of um, a middle ground by using language like this and using that reflection, right? That column to really say, well, there might be some validity in some of this, right? Like, or perspective right. that I'm not looking at. So I think that could right. really help the world. <laughs> Honestly, like, oh, let's get along a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. So, I love that. But for nonprofits specifically, and then for grant writers, we get feedback all the time on our grants. And a lot of it is, taken very very personally and it's it's interesting because a lot of um people that i see that get uh, grants turned down that get the feedback you know from say a federal grant they give you the feedback a lot of times right or you can request it and it's actually like written comments on your strengths and weaknesses but just because you got turned down or a low score some people don't even read that feedback because they're so just disheartened right that they didn't get the grant approved and they put their life and soul into it and it didn't get approved but the thing is that feedback is so valuable and i tell them hey look at the feedback. You can apply a lot of that feedback, increase the weaknesses and put it into strengths. You can apply again for that grant or just make it your grant application for a different place more robust because you have that valuable feedback. So feedback can be helpful from the foundation's perspective though. Sometimes we just get, hey, we're not giving out feedback. We have too many applications and you just didn't get awarded. And that can be a really hard hit, right? As well. So um, actually having feedback can be helpful when it's actually feedback. <laughs> so I right, do like right. that. Mm-hmm. 
So thank you for sharing Absolutely. that. Yeah. So we have, thanks for the feedback. And then your final book that you're sharing with us today. Yes. So this book we're actually reading in the month of March and I'm really excited. It's called Smart Brevity and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like, how can you keep it short, keep it sweet and keep it engaging? So this is something that helps with all of your communications. It can be your communications to your donors with your donor, donor appeal letter. It can be your communications during board meetings, whatever types of communications you have going on at your nonprofit with whatever type of stakeholder you, you probably need those communications to be shorter than what they are because people don't have the attention span that they used to have. I mean, we're so used to just scrolling on Instagram. We don't even read the full description that's under a photo on Instagram. We just read the two lines they give us. We never tap more, you know? So it's, it's important um, to keep things brief, but, but in a smart way. Mm-hmm. In a way where we're still getting across all of the important information, but in as as tight a box as we can to keep it engaging and um, and make sure that people are listening to our whole message. So the big takeaway that I got from Smart Brevity is one that sounds really obvious, but it's also a hard pill to swallow, I know, for nonprofit leaders. And it's just have one main idea. No matter what your communication is, if it's a donor appeal letter, if it's a social media post, if it's a blog post, if you're talking to a corporate sponsor, somebody who you want to give you a lot of money, you need to have one main idea because their brain isn't able to remember two main ideas at a time when they're getting new information that they've never heard before. So stop trying to make two points with your social media post. Don't say come to our event and give us money. No, either come to our event or give us money. Pick one thing that you want people to remember. If you have four different programs that your nonprofit offers to the community, stop trying to tell everybody about all four programs at the same time. They're not going to remember them. Pick one program at a time that you want to talk about. Get that one point across And before you send out that next email newsletter, before you send out the donor appeal letter, or before you make the slideshow for your board presentation, get someone else who was not involved in the creation to read it over and Mm -hmm. see if they can tell you what the one main idea is. Because if they can't tell you, then you're not making that point strongly enough. I love that. I love that so much. And I'm seeing this shift too, where people are starting to pick up on that, which is great because- you know, to be very focused, right? And they're called action. I also see where it's not. And one of the things, you know, it's interesting that I see is that, like you said, we want to put it all in, in, a, in a social media post or an email or whatever, right? Where it's like, here's all the things. And with the training that I've been going through too, it's it's totally aligned in that because it's saying, no, you can make 10 different emails then, and they're not all saying the same thing, trying to put everything in an email, but it's talking about one component of something, right, in that program. One component, one call to action per email. And then you have so much more content. Same thing with uh, social media posts, right? Instead of just always talking about that big event that's coming and all of the things involved, like you can make one social media post for each thing that's going on during that fundraising appeal, right? And and just one main call, uh, call to action then for each one of those. And then you have so much more content and then it's more clear as well to people. So I love, I love that. And, uh, yeah, that book is gonna be 
when <laughs> that one is. So, because it's really, yeah. right. So no matter what you're doing, especially in marketing. So did you feel like that book too, with your marketing background, like it really resonated with you? Oh yeah, for sure. It was great. And something I love about this book is it's told in bullet points. Like you will not read a paragraph in this book. You will read bullet points. So it's a real quick read. It's like 100 pages. They show you smart brevity in action. It's not a normal book. So I love it. And speaking of one big main idea, if I had to leave your listeners with one big main idea, it would be to join my book club so that you can read all of these books and get these big takeaways ways and find your own takeaways from these books too. Absolutely. And I love that. Yeah. So you guys are a nonprofit leader. Definitely look at the overhead book club with a uh, nonprofit Jenny. I, and you know, it's very affordable. And that's what I love about it because I was saying, man, even just you doing the work of curating the books and giving a book list is like worth the cost. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's it. It's like worth the price right there and more. Like, it's amazing. So, and then just to be a part of that. So you guys have live Zoom sessions, right, where you discuss then your takeaways. So that also gives you the accountability, right, the ind- independent like accountability to come and show up and share as well. And deadlines always help too, like we're going to have this live conversation about this book, right? So it can really help you create those habits that you were talking about with doing more um, professional and personal growth through books. Like I think that's one of the most like, I don't know, it's just not only quick ways of going into personal and professional both growth as far as books, right? But also deep ways, because mm-hmm. you know a lot of books, like you have to process, you have to read them, um, you know, and you're going through and thinking about them and you journal about them, especially if you're in a book club, you're usually also kind of journaling about them or answering some questions. So it really gets you to really go deep on these things. And that's what leads to meaningful, real change and growth, right? From my perspective anyways, that I've seen with um, book clubs. So I love that you're doing this. And I remember when you started doing it as well, we were talking about it and I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a great idea. And nonprofit leaders are totally going to love this because it's needed, right? That more of that long-term sustainable communication and community and growing together. So you don't feel so alone going through these um, processes. So what, what are some yeah, it's great. Your, your book club that people have come in and, and said about it? Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about it is with our, so a lot of um, webinars that you'll sign up for, if you can't make it, they'll send you the link later so you can watch it. Our book club sessions are not recorded because we want everyone to feel like they can be really vulnerable. And mm. so people will share the things that there are going on at their nonprofit that are like, wow, really shocking things. And we'll be able to give each other advice and support all along the book's theme. And that's something that I find is really unique because a lot of times people feel really isolated and alone, especially if they're in these one shop, one man shops yeah. um, running these nonprofits. They're like, I don't have anybody else to turn to. My board's not being supportive, whatever the problem is. And so we, we are a really good supportive community in that way. 
I love that. I love that so much. And is there any way, like, do you uh, rank your books, like, as you're reading and going through and curating, curating your list? Are you looking for certain things like is uh, you mix up the different genders who are writing the books, different, you know, like get, getting different perspectives from people of color or other people, you know what I mean, around the world, like internationally, or how do you kind of like, you know, curate your books on that level? Yeah, obviously content is a huge one. It needs to be something that we haven't read about recently and it it has to, um, it, it all of my books are research-based. They're not just opinions. So all of them are research-based and I am extremely intentional about choosing authors that come from different backgrounds. Um, and that that's not just different racial backgrounds, different gender identities. We're also talking about the LGBTQ community. We're also talking about the disabled community. I'm a member of the disabled community. I often feel overlooked. So, um, and also people who are neurodivergent writing these books. So okay. mm -hmm. some of the books will make you a little bit uncomfortable because they're not written in a style that you're used to because it's written by a neurodivergent person. So yeah, mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you asked about that. Yeah. And I love that. I, you know, and I love it just to be able to promote like these different authors, right. And really their perspective. So I'm so glad that you're doing that. Um, and I knew like you take meaning into everything you do. So I absolutely love it. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question and I know I'm going to like the answer. So yeah, I love that you're bringing in different thought processes, right? Because writing is so interesting and we all write so differently. Um, so it's good to have those different perspectives and as well. Um, yeah, so this is awesome. So you guys out there listening, watching, definitely, you know, if you're looking at, you know, you're in a nonprofit, even if you're not, like these books are great for any, any industry, but if you're really in that field and you're thinking, you know, I really feel a little stuck or I feel overwhelmed or I feel, you know, frustrated or whatever, and that having a community, being able to grow in this, in this very um, meaningful way seems awesome to me. Like, I love this idea and I love all these books that you guys are talking about. Um, definitely jump over, you know, and check it out at the Overhead Book Club. So where can they go, Jenny? Nonprofitjenny.com slash book club. Perfect. All right. So once again, that's J-E-N-N-I. Um, so how we spell Jenny. So um, yeah, and you guys also, if you love this podcast, please do check out Nonprofit Jenny podcast as well. You guys, she has a great information over there for nonprofits. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the Grant Rating and Funding Podcast. Um, this has been awesome. I love talking books. So we don't do that enough on here. So this, is, this has been so much fun for <laughs> me personally. I'm like, yes, taking all these notes. Um, but anything else you want to mention before we close up? No, I um, I hope just to have our listeners uh, listen in to my podcast or come to my book club, or you can even check me out on Instagram. I hang out there a lot. Awesome. We'll have all those links in the show notes. So thank you again for coming on, and we'll have you back on as well to talk about more things in the nonprofit industry. So Sounds great. Thank you for having me, Holly. You're so Thank you so much for tuning in to our grant writing and funding podcast show with nonprofit Jenny. And I hope you got at least one book that you want to read from this show today. I mean, all of them sound amazing. For all of the show notes again and links to these books and to the Overhead Book Club, go ahead and go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 260. And if you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to our podcast so you can get these episodes delivered directly to you on your podcast listener. 
And would you do me a favor? If you love the podcast, please do leave a review or rating on your podcast player as that does help other people find the podcast. All right. I hope you're having a wonderful week and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.